This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, a podcast about maternal mental health from conception to pregnancy and postpartum. Real stories from moms and family members who have made it from struggling to wellness and interviews with experts and advocates who work for moms and families to get the help they need. We discuss very real struggles that can sometimes be hard to hear, but these are stories that need to be told so that moms and families can know that healing is possible. This podcast is meant to offer information and awareness and is not a replacement for treatment by a professional. Thank you for being with us today. Hi, and welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Today is a special edition of Mom and Mind. We're switching gears to talk about Dad and Mind with Dr. Singley. Dads have their own experience and transition to parenthood, and we need to be talking about their mental health as well, so we will. But not just today. I'm excited that Dr. Singley will come back for a series of interviews to share with us this important information about men and the transition to fatherhood. For today, we'll be getting some perspective about the journey into fatherhood, and some things to keep in mind about dad's mental health, and some information about paternal postpartum depression and other things that can happen for dads during the transition to fatherhood. So a little bit about Dr. Singley before we get started. He is a San Diego-based board-certified psychologist and director of the Center for Men's Excellence. His research and practice focus on men's mental health with a particular emphasis on reproductive psychology and the transition to fatherhood. He's a past president of the American Psychological Association section on positive psychology and currently serves on the board of the APA's Society for Psychological Study of Men and Masculinity, as well as Postpartum Support International. He conducts trainings and presentations around the country to assist individuals and organizations to enhance their level of father inclusiveness and founded the grant-funded Basic Training for New Dads, Inc. nonprofit in order to give new fathers the tools they need to be highly engaged with their infants as well as their partners. In his free time, Dr. Singley likes to cook, surf, read, and take his two sons on hikes to get muddy and throw rocks at things. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Singley. It's great to have you. No, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So you like to go by Danny. Is that okay? Yeah. Like the only Danny over the age of nine. <laughs> All right. And since there's very few cats, I'll be doing the same. <laughs> so thank you so much for being on here. This is a super important topic and people are not talking about it enough, but you talk about it as much as you can, I think. So I'm, I'm happy and excited to pick your brain about what goes on for dads during this period of time and so you can help our listeners understand why it's so important to be paying attention to this. 
So first, I'd like to start with asking you about the work that you do and how you got into this type of specialty. Sure. So I have a fairly multifaceted career in the sense that I do research on the transition to fatherhood and psychosocial functioning of new fathers. I have a clinical practice in which I specialize in working with men around men's issues as well as couples and obviously a focus in fatherhood and new fatherhood. I do training and consultation, as you mentioned in my bio blurb, where I work with organizations that are, I mean, you know, in the industry, the name is Mm -hmm. maternal child mental health, right? And people are realizing they forgot somebody. So I do a good amount of going around the country and training on father involvement and how to work with fathers. And I teach classes for expectant dads, which is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Is that the basic training for new dads? It is. That was largely what got me into doing this sort of work. So we were chatting a little bit before the show and mentioned my 12-year-old. Well, it was when we were pregnant with my 12-year-old that we were doing all the parenting classes and so on like you do. And I realized there was nothing for dads. And basically the message I was be there and be supportive for your wife. And of course I wanted to do that. But, you know, being an overeducated, narcissistic white guy, I kept thinking, wait, I've got... (laughs) What about me? You know, I've got more to offer. uh, (laughs) So I went through the process. I sort of did what shrinks do and hit the literature and got a grant and founded the New Dads class and uh, have received some fantastic mentoring from local and national folks in men's issues. And just as I moved on in, in my career, I've gravitated more and more towards men's issues and fatherhood. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, you've been doing this for a while now, and I know you through Postpartum Support International and some of the places I've seen you speak, but you're local here to Southern California. And you said also that you're you're working with men individually to help in the, the transition and to support them in the transition into fatherhood and doing a lot of speaking and educating and and all over the place, right? Yeah, as much as I can. Right. So in my looking at stuff, there's just a handful of men who are focusing on this and you are in that handful. And it's super important, the, the work that you're doing and the message that you're trying to get out there about how important it is to pay attention to dad's transition and his mental health and, and all the things that come with that. So maybe that would be a good place to start. Can you tell us a little bit or whatever seems relevant and just kind of an introduction into what about the dad's journey into fatherhood and things we should keep in mind and what his experience is? Well, first, I always encourage folks to consider masculinity. We don't don't really talk about masculinity very much. I I don't know about your gender (laughs) psych classes in grad school, but in my gender psych classes, we really only talked about women. Right. Like developmental psych, right? We only talk about kids and adults, but not mm-hmm. older adults. So that's a blind spot in the area. But really, in order, I think, to connect with and to understand the transition to fatherhood, you have to first sort of back up and look at the foundation of masculinity upon which fatherhood develops. Right. And, you know, so basically, because I look at new fatherhood and masculinity, that makes me a gender scholar of sorts. And as such, I'm given to making sweeping sexist generalizations <laughs> like, you know, men are blank and masculinity causes people to blank. But one of, I think, the key dynamics to have in mind for pretty much anybody who, you know, be it a partner or a clinician or someone, is to understand that in general terms, vulnerability is kryptonite to masculinity, mm. right? Yeah. And so... 
that draws to bear on the perinatal period spanning from conception to a year or so postpartum in the sense that mom, I'm being sort of heterosexist here because I'm talking about male, female couples, but in general, moms and dads and, you know, clinicians ourselves, we're socialized to think of dad as his role in this period to be support mom, Mm -hmm. you know, protect and provide and so on. And virtually nobody is giving dads or their partners or even ourselves, the people who work with them, the message that dad needs support. Right as well. However, we men are socialized to feel that by asking for help or asking for support, we're being weak, we're being vulnerable. And at a time when we're all socialized to feel like the parenting of a young baby, of an infant, and certainly in pregnancy, that's really the domain of moms. Mm -hmm. Dads commonly will take this sort of, well, I'm a protector provider and keep the roof over the head and the saber tooth tigers away and (laughs) and all that. And I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to, but men tend to be terrible maintaining support and social support and connections like that during difficult transitions. We try to get all of our intimacy and social support needs met from our partner. And particularly in a situation when that partner may have postpartum depression or anxiety or just the difficulties that go along with the postpartum or pregnancy period, it can really be difficult because the man may not even understand it. Right. Wow. I mean, that's just a lot right there to be thinking about masculinity in general. I mean, just as you're talking, I'm kind of reflecting like I have a three-year-old son and I'm thinking, well, masculinity, when does this lesson start that they're not supposed to be vulnerable? And I don't know, you know, how far back it starts, but potentially way, way far back. So is it for, you know, for years, men's socialization and messaging has been to not be vulnerable and not have, you know, these types of of needs and to just be strong. I like those kinds of messages. That seems like it could be really challenging and really hard to overcome. It certainly is. That socializing of men and boys is pervasive. Yeah. It's funny, even though it's like, I think of the current generation of dads as being in what I call a sort of fatherhood general, Uh where again, you know, I, I make sweeping generalizations, but typically the current generation of fathers had dads that were sort of baby boomer-ish and had more traditional gender roles with their own parents, and particularly as it relates to the raising of kids. It was like, you know, dad just wasn't particularly hands-on, showed up when the kiddo could throw a ball or, or something. And so the paternal involvement with infants was pretty low, whereas these days societal expectations have changed hugely. Right. So we're supposed to be going to the you know, parenting classes and there at the birth and changing diapers and, you know, baby wearing and all these other types of involvement. The problem is we don't have the models for it. Right. So during the transition to fatherhood, you know, any transition involves some level of adjustment stress. It doesn't have to be, you know, overwhelming. But if in the stress of the transition to fatherhood, that dad, in spite of wanting to be super involved, goes sort of stress autopilot on what he was modeled, he'll be checking out right when he and everybody else feels like he's supposed to be highly involved. And that's what I mean when I say the current generation is experiencing a fatherhood generation gap. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. 
I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Wow, fascinating. So so maybe isn't that sparks some questions in my mind in terms of, well, just in terms of this idea of checking out that you mentioned, what are some other things to keep in mind about his mental health at this time? And like, what are some some common things that happen for dads other than the checking out that could potentially happen? What are some other things that you've heard of or noticed about how dads deal with the change? Okay, so we'll do some quick prevalence info. One, even though we are, we're all supposed to believe that immediately after you have a baby, it's all sunshine and rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> the reality right. is a lot of people have difficulty with the transition, right. but there's a stigma, you know, for moms and for dads in talking about it. But years of research in this area support that immediately after the birth of a baby, particularly a first baby, that the couple's relationship satisfaction goes down. Right. Right? It's part of a bigger trend. It's not just the baby having, but that's one thing that's very important to be aware that dads as well as moms are likely to be experiencing is, hey, wait, I'm not the main enchilada anymore. This is taking more <laughs> work. Right. The second is that we'd said that, you know, postpartum mood and anxiety disorders is the umbrella term and paternal postpartum depression is one, is one type of disorder. So 10% of new dads experience clinically significant symptoms of postpartum depression. Wow. Yeah. And that's from a public mental health perspective is a huge number. It is. But hardly anybody knows it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to put a pin in that in terms of identification of the depression, but another very important prevalence figure is this. When mom is depressed, when she has postpartum depression, then 50% of the time, five zero percent of the time, dad gets postpartum depression L. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, for all the clinicians that, you know, that do have maternal mental health on their radar, when the mom screens positive for depression, you really need to be working very hard 
to get dad in right. and screen him, do the assessment with him. Because if bullets are highly depressed postpartum, it really bodes poorly for their involvement in the kind of environment they're pr- providing for the infant. Absolutely. And so coming back to the pin that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. commonly men will often experience depression in a slightly different way than that sort of stereotypical, you know, depressed, weeping, sorrowful in the corner type thing. One of the terms it's used is male masked depression. Mm-hmm. And the top level look at what male, how men that are having masked depression present is they look angry derivative, you know, they're frustrated, they're irritable, they're angry, they're resentful. They withdraw. So maybe they're working a lot more hours or even when they're around a group of other people, they're more sort of withdrawn into themselves, just not really connecting with other people. Um, And the third major trait is using more substances, drinking drugs. If you didn't drink, you start. If you drank, you drink more and, and so on. But a lot of times folks aren't used to looking for that cluster of symptoms where they don't identify it as male depression. Right. Well, and it might be hard, too, for if a mom is depressed to be necessarily noticing that about her spouse or have the, you know, have the wherewithal, if both of them are depressed, to be able to be present and supportive of each other. Oh, I mean, think about it. If you're depressed, in that kind of a situation, both mom and dad are not only feeling bad about themselves, they're pretty likely to be blaming themselves that the other one is having a difficult time. And this is what depressed people do. Right. In terms of the father's experience of depression, so the things that we might be seeing on the outside or maybe him being more angry and irritable or using substances, do you have any sense or can you speak to what his internal experience is like? Things that he might be feeling or sensing or experiencing that he's not expressing or telling other people. Oh, yeah. I mean, that can be all over them. It can be very specific to the individual. But a lot of times it's characterized by a low sense of confidence. Mm. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if I'm doing a good job. Simply having a sense of not doing a good job, not being as involved. Another one that sneaks up on partners alike is a lot of times the father will feel jealous of his perception of the infant's bond with the mother and will get really fixated on, I'm not connecting, I'm not attaching, I'm too depressed and wrapped up in my own stuff. And what's wrong with me? You know, she's depressed, but she's doing it. And that can be a real block for dads. And so I I find it helpful to provide him some psychoeducation about that. But those are some themes that I see pretty regularly. So because of this, the masculinity, what you were describing before about the challenges with masculinity and being vulnerable, you know, how is we, us listening to you and learning from you, how can we help fathers either understand or know that they could benefit from help or support from someone like you or from a therapist who is trained in these types of issues and has a good perspective on father's mental health, how can we help them along? What can we do to support them? So my general answer to this question is up on my soapbox here saying, <laughs> everyone, every, every clinician, every, you know, whoever it is, all the different touch points for moms and dads should be taking a whole family-focused, father-inclusive perspective on the work that they do, which means that from the very beginning, setting the expectation 
that dad should be involved, if at all possible. And if he's not, what's the deal and how do we get him involved? Right. Which isn't very is, common. Right. So, And this is not just postpartum. You're talking about in pregnancy as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So if he's already, if the father or the couple is already in meeting with a provider, some kind of provider, this can be an OB or a pediatrician or a therapist or who should be a doula or, you know, whoever. So pretty much anyone who's interacting with the couple should be reaching out or assessing or talking to the father and the mother about this stuff. Yeah. And in terms of, so what does that look like? This might sound really basic, but I'm here to tell you that the organizations that I work with and consult with about how do you do that? How do you get the dad's butts in seats and better engage them? It starts with the basics, like when the dad is there in the meeting, make eye contact with him, respond to his questions. Right. I mean, this is not rocket science, but you would be amazed how people's unconscious biases about really this is mom's stuff. And yeah, it's nice that dad's there, pat him on the head, but he's not a substantive player in the care here. And, you know, it starts there. And from there, I mean, there are all sorts of different you know, look at your marketing materials. Is it only moms and kiddos or are dads involved? Is if you're in a clinic situation or the pictures on the walls reflective of dads? Does the front desk person feel comfortable interacting with dads or their reading materials that are sort of stereotypical guy centric? You know, the list goes on about how you do this in a programmatic way, but it starts with set the expectation that we need the whole thing in order to do this work to optimize this transition to parenthood. We need mom and we need dad on the same page and then engage with him when he's there. Right. I mean, that does seem simple enough, but I mean, you're talking about this like systemic cultural bias and pressure that, you know, for moms to be doing it all. And uh, I don't know if it's pressure is the right word, but for moms, that moms are the only people that are kind of in the room there, you know, I guess there must be a piece in this about helping fathers advocate for themselves too. Oh yeah, in a big way. A lot of times they don't even recognize the need to do so. Like one dynamic to keep in mind here is that without making any other caveats about dimensions of diversity, in general, men a one-up position to women in our society, right? Male privilege. Right. It's out there, it's a thing, we all know it. Uh Well, when you get into the perinatal period, spanning birth to a year or so postpartum, that flips. And it's generally understood that this is mom's area and she knows what to do. And dad's actually in a one down position. So he's stepping into this role vulnerable, Mm -hmm. which makes him that much more sensitive to shame or anxiety or anything, you know, that might cause him to check out. So he may not even recognize the need to advocate for himself. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Coe, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, 
you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah. So as a provider who are interacting with them, we need to be taking on a role to really honor and respect his role. Like you said before, in a heterosexual couple, his role in the parenting process and acknowledge that he has feelings, even as you're saying, even if he's unaware of them or if he hasn't been socialized to understand that this is a a time of maybe vulnerable transitional time. And I guess to normalize that on some level and to let them know that, hey, this stuff happens and you can talk about it. Again, sweeping sexist generalizations. Guys like concrete, right? guys like specific and hands-on. So in my class for expectant dads who are usually in the second or third trimester, I give them really concrete things to do. You know, one, have a weekly state of the union meeting where you sit down with your partner and the two of you check in. How are things going? You're in charge of it. You're communicating proactively. Men never do this. Dad, you take charge of interviewing pediatricians and getting all that information together. Interview mom, see what she likes, you know, sign up for one of these services, what to expect or baby center, and you're getting information. You interview mom and have a template for a birth plan. You know, see what's important to her. You be the one that writes it down. Then you've got the copies to give to your birth care professional, a series of, I call it the postpartum game plan, where dads sit down with their partner and ask a series of about 30 questions that tend to be difficult blind spots that they usually don't even know to think about. It's ways like this that try to get the dads to really get their head in the game and understand that they're important in the process. Yeah, um, this is so good and so useful. And in terms of the class that you teach, this is currently available in San Diego. Is that correct? Yes. Wow. I just feel like everybody should go. (laughs) Uh, Like this information and this perspective and this support for dads is seriously lacking. And I'm sure for you as a provider who's, you know, you're super pumped and jazzed about this. And as we were talking before, like, you know, ready to get on the mountaintop and tell everyone, it must be super frustrating for you how far behind we are in terms of caring for fathers and their mental health and their transition. There's so much work to do. It can be, but generally not. I really try to work to meet people or institutions where they're at in terms of awareness. Uh Yeah, I mean, I see that men's perinatal mental health now is where women's perinatal mental health was 
about 20 years ago. Right. And when I meet someone or, you know, go to a training or talk with an organization or institution and see that they're actually ahead of that, then I'm pleasantly surprised. Oh, that's good. That's fantastic. So people are on board. People are starting to figure this out and starting to understand how important it is to address like just basic, simple stuff, like look a father in the eyes and talk to him directly too. I mean, that's such an important change. That's such an important piece that's so simple to do, but really this is about respecting his part, his role as a parent. It is. And it's funny, like a lot of the times that I'll do an, an interview like this or a presentation, I'll have to begin it with, hey, guess what, y'all? New fatherhood and mental health, it's a thing. I promise. <laughs> look, here's some, here's, some, here's some research about it. And here's what the implications are. One of the points of pushback that I'll get will be a practical one. Hey, look. My caseload is already huge. I'm stretched. I'm a social worker. I'm a whoever. And dad is just one more thing. And, and I'm not incentivized to do that. We don't have metrics to involve that. Yeah, the other is I'll get oh. something along the lines of, look, you know, going back to that men one up position relative to women in society dynamic, I will sometimes hear folks say something along the lines of, look, men earn more money. Men have all this privilege and so on. Can't you just let the women have the birth stuff and the perinatal period. And frankly, I mean, anybody who does masculinity work these days, who's a scholar and really focuses on it, knows that masculinity these days is a direct extension of the feminist movement and the work that feminist scholars and activists did. So I'm certainly very sensitive to that dynamic and inclusiveness and power dynamics. But on the other hand, this is, to me, this is a pendulum that really needs pushing. It absolutely does. I, you know, in just in my practice, mostly meeting with women who are dealing with stuff, you know, they're often talking about the challenges that they have with their partners or their husbands. And sometimes dads, you know, the dad is depressed too, and the mom doesn't understand it. Mom is like, you know, losing sleep as they do, but losing excessive amounts of sleep. And dad is is kind of checked out. Either he's not sure what to do or feels like it is the wife's responsibility, the mom's responsibility to be taking care of everything. So he's taken a sort of a default position of just hanging back and that impacts her mental health. And so at that point, they're both, each of them are impacting each other's mental health in a negative way. I mean, who has the capacity to be able to talk about how they're doing when they feel so bad? and ask for the things that they need when they're feeling so bad. Agreed. And an unfortunate additional factor there is that when there's now a very solid research base to support this point, that when fathers, not only is it bad for mom's mental health and dad's own mental health and functioning, but there's a growing body of uh, research which shows that when fathers are not very involved, even with their infants, that it causes problems down the road for the developing child. But when dad is highly involved, even in the first year, the child tends to have greater emotional regulation, to be more interpersonally, socially successful, to have a higher IQ, to be willing to be engaged in more controlled risk-taking, less involvement with juvenile justice, more ready for school, all these other lovely outcomes that we want for our kids. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
Right. So I think, you know, this topic about the impact on couples and how the mental health of dad is impacting the couple and how dad's mental health impacts the life and the growth of their child. I think maybe if we can talk about this more in depth in our next discussion, you know, there's so much to talk about in terms of the mental health for fathers and the things that we should be doing more of and considering and asking questions and supporting fathers to do. So I'd really like to invite you to come back and talk more with us about the father's mental health and the impact on the couple and why really we should be paying attention to this in terms of the couple and their relationship and also the impact on the infant and their development because this is super important stuff. And I feel like if mothers and fathers and grandparents and whoever's involved in a family system understands this, even maybe on a really basic level, it will open their eyes to be more supportive to fathers and ask them how they're doing too. Hey, from your mouth to practitioner's ears. (laughs) Okay, great. Then since there's so much to talk about, you know, that's maybe an abrupt stop for today, but I think we can transition this to our next talk and get into some more details. And I'm so, so thankful to be able to have you back again and as many times as possible and as many times as needed for fathers to feel like they're being heard and for mothers to know that we need to be paying attention to fathers and for providers to know that this is important and for them to also know that you're available for training and that you're available to talk to organizations and that you're willing to travel (laughs) to get there. I am. Like I said, I did a lot of that and I'm happy to do so. But I also want to make a quick, as you mentioned, I'm on the board of Postpartum Support International. And in that capacity, one of the activities that I do is on a monthly basis, on the first Monday of uh, any month, I run the dad's chat. And so it's It's a phone call. You call in. There's information on the PSI website, post.net. And even if I can't come to you or you can't come to me, if you're in this perinatal period and you yourself are having difficulty or, you know, your partner is, it's a forum for the dads. It's free. It's not therapy, but it's a chance to sort of connect and touch base and maybe get some pointers. So I strongly encourage dad call in to the dad's chat the first Monday of each month. It's at uh, 5 p.m. Pacific. Perfect. Awesome. I have referred several dads to that chat myself, and I know for sure that it is a great support for dads and in turn then for moms also. When dad is supported, mom feels better too. So, okay. Thank you so much. And we'll continue our conversation on the next time we meet up. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. By joining us today and listening, you're a part of the growing community of people who are aware and concerned for mothers and families during this beautiful and sometimes very difficult time of life. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this free podcast so that Mom and Mind can be found by moms, families, and providers who will benefit from hearing our talks. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, help is available. Please look for resources for help at momandmind.com where you will also find links and information from today's episode. Thank you for listening and being a part of the Mom and Mind community. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? 
That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.